Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, Ben Allen, that's me, will be continuing our study on the book of James. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. In our last episode, James gives a stinging call to repentance for his readers and likens them to the Old Testament references of Israel's behavior toward God in the Old Testament. He calls for humility in drawing near to God, which allows the Christian communities to receive one another and to forsake the world system. Now let's open up our Bibles uh, to chapter 4. Verses 9 through 17. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, he will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, Let's begin. Uh, in verse 8, James used language drawn from the Psalter. And for anyone who didn't know what that is, what I just said, it's just a fancy word that means the book of Psalms. In verse 9, uh, he turns to the prophets for his imagery. And some translations read, grieve, mourn, and wail. They regularly describe the results of of that judgment or the reactions of those who suffer God's judgment. <clears throat> grief, grief, or grieve, translates a verb, telepeiro, that is used in, for example, Jeremiah 9.19. The sound of wailing is used, is heard from Zion. How ruined we are. How great is our shame. We must leave our land because our houses are in ruins. Mourn uh, translates pentetheo, a verb that occurs in passages such as Amos 9, 5. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts. All who live in it mourn. The whole land raises like the Nile and then sinks like the river of Egypt. And the verb wail is from kaleo, a word again often used in the Septuagint 
which is the Greek Old Testament, to depict the people's response to God's judgment. So, for example, in Jeremiah 13, 17, If you do not listen, I will weep in secret. Because of your pride, my eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears, because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. The application of the, these words in the Greek Old Testament of the prophets to describe the results of judgment contrasts mildly with James's use of these words to call for repentance. Joel actually brings a similar point in, in Joel 2.12. He says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. James, like Joel, is convinced that the eschatological judgment is imminent. So what do I mean by eschatological? I, it's just a fancy way of saying the end times judgment is imminent. So James, like Joel, calls on God's people to exhibit a heartfelt sorrow for sin that is the mark of true repentance. Laughter, in most contexts, is well and fine, but bear in mind James's context. Remember, he's been using what? He's been using the Old Testament, so let's look at the Old Testament for where laughter is used. It's often the mark of a fool, like in Proverbs 10.23. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. The final command in this section is to submit ourselves to God. Such has been the main thrust of our understanding with James quoting Proverbs 3.34, which again says, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. Douglas Moo in his commentary says, quote, To humble ourselves before the Lord means to recognize our own spiritual poverty, to acknowledge consequently our desperate need of God's help, and to submit to his commanding will for our lives. This humility is beautifully exemplified in the tax collector of Jesus' parable, who, deeply conscious of his sin, calls out to God for mercy. In response, Jesus pronounces him justified and sum summarizes, quote, all, who are, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted, end quote, Luke 18, 14. This saying, parallel to others, where humility before other people is the point, Matthew twenty-three twelve or Luke 14, 11, was taken up as a popular motto in the early church. It reminds us that we gain spiritual vitality and victory, not through our own strength or effort, but through giving ourselves completely to the Lord. When we try to exalt ourselves by relying on our own abilities, status, or money, we meet with inevitable failure and even condemnation. God humbles us. James makes this same basic point earlier in his letter when he encourages the humble brother to boast in his exaltation and the rich brother to boast in his humiliation. In verses 11 and 12, James picks up an idea from chapters 2, 8 through 8, or 13, where he quotes the law of love of the neighbor and warns about God's judgment. How are we seeing this? Well, in 
Leviticus 19.16, we see, quote, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Which is very close to the love your neighbor passage uh, in Leviticus 19.18. And in verse 12 here is likewise a reference to Matthew 10.28. Says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. James is thinking of judging in terms of determining the ultimate spiritual destiny of individuals. And so the believers have no place in that position to which is squarely God's prerogative. Though the through the reminder remainder of this chapter, James rebukes the arrogance of the people. If you remember a few episodes ago, James used different literary techniques to convey his idea. Well, in verse 13, it is a stock form of a diatribe, like in chapters 2.18 through 21. James is not rebuking these merchants for their plans or even their desire to make a profit. He rebukes them, rather, for their this worldly self-confidence that they exhibit in pursuing these goals. A danger, it must be said, to which business people are particularly susceptible to. And as Blomberg and Kamel put it, quote, it is not their occupation, but their attitude that has become secular, end quote. And we should guard here against another misinterpretation. The idea that James is forbidding Christians from all forms of planning or of concern for the future. Taking out life insurance or saving for retirement, for instance, are not condemned by James. These may very well be the form of wise stewardship. What James rebukes here as verse 16 will make clear, is any kind of planning for the future that stems from human arrogance in our ability to determine the course of future events. In verse 14, James attempts to bring these self-confident merchants back to a proper sense of their place in the world, the transitionary nature of life that James reminds us of here is a recurring theme, both in uh, Greco-Roman literature as well as the Old Testament. From James's wider culture, see, for example, the warning of the first century Roman philosopher Seneca. He says, quote, he who has venturing investments by land and sea, who had also entered public life and left no type of business untried during the very realization of financial success, and during the very onrush of the money that flowed into his coffers was snatched from the world. But how foolish it is to set out one's life when one is not even owner of the marrow." End quote. Proverbs 27.1 warns, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Job 7.7, 7.9, 7.16, Psalm 39, 5-6 describe life as a breath. And of course, we recall the familiar refrain in Ecclesiastes about the meaningless nature of life. But as is so often the case, especially close to James's 
teaching are some words of Jesus. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he warns the crowds about covetousness and reminds them that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In a brief parable, he illustrated his point with a rich man who, like James, James's merchants, made definite plans for acquiring more goods, but who was prevented from executing his plan by his death. From James, or excuse me, from verses 15 through 17, James continues to drive home the point and brings considerable understanding to the problem that he's trying to address. The Greek word uh, for this boastful pride, hubris, and Homer in the Iliad depicted in imaginative detail the havoc it wreaked on Achilles, who was succumbed by it. People not only leave God out of a, account in planning in their lives, they brag about it as well, proclaiming in effect their autonomy and independence from the Lord. On the view we have taken in this paragraph, we must remember James is rebuking not people of the world, but Christians. He warns of the tendency of the world to press into its mold by leading us perhaps by very subtly to begin assuming that we control the duration and direction of our lives. Such an attitude is simply inconsistent with a Christian worldview in which there is a God who sovereignly directs the course of human affairs. People not only leave God out of account in planning their lives, it is the essence of sin that they brag about it as well. The, quote, I, end quote, takes center stage in the place of God. What application can we take from this? Well, I think mainly it is to take the Lord into consideration in all of our planning. To fail to do so is sin. Sins of omission are as real and serious as sins of commission. Remember, God is merciful and just to forgive in the things we do as well as the things we don't do. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.